School is in session with Basketball U. Welcome to your study time for the world of college hoops. Now here are your professors, Tyler Rocky and Shane Orley on ESPN 1000. Here on the snowy day, snowy selection Sundays. We don't get many of those. I feel like around here. Yeah, it hasn't snowed in March lately. I feel like winter is set back a couple months. We got a winter didn't start. Groundhog. I know winter didn't start till February. It seems like. Um, this is Selection Sunday. This is Basketball U, Tyler Aki, and Shane Norling. We're talking college hoops with you until 1 o'clock on ESPN 1000. We have been at the Big Ten Tournament all week long. We're going to get you some of our observations from what we've seen throughout the course of the Big Ten Tournament and what we're expecting to see in the championship game today as well. We had quite the night last night. 15 more tickets punched. Automatic qualifiers for the NCAA Tournament right now. There are just four conferences that still need to determine. Actually, I take that back. Five conferences that still need to determine a conference champion through their conference tournaments. The Atlantic 10, the American, the Big 10, the Ivy League, and the SEC. So five more automatic bids still to be punched, Shay. Not a lot of drama, though, Tyler. You're like, correct, yeah. The eight, we know the Big Ten, the American, the SEC, both teams in each of those championship games is going to get into the tournament. So the only drama is coming out of the A-10 and the Ivy. Yeah, and really all that is, those are two one-bid leagues That's as well. going to be so just the automatic see, qualifier, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to see any sort of drama. And it kind of makes it, I don't know, like the, if you're a bubble team... For, for this season, you feel like, all right, your fate is already decided. It's just, all right, are we going to get in or are we not getting into the, the tournament this year? Um, because the committee, I think, probably knows the, the 68 teams or, or at least knows who the 68, the only contingencies would be swapping in the, the Ivy champion and swapping in the, the A-10 champion today. So you're right. Not a lot of drama within the confines of, of Selection Sunday like we're used to. Like looking around the bubble, and if you depending on where you look, I'm looking at bracket matrix right now mm-hmm. there's like five teams left it's oklahoma state nevada vanderbilt clemson and north carolina so i guess the only questions really like the drama that's left is by beating kentucky did vanderbilt do enough to convince the committee that they should be in the field of 68 and then north carolina and clemson like clemson i think it's ridiculous that they're on the bubble and yes. north carolina it, are they on the bubble only because they're north carolina they did not have a good year no, they did not. They they were atrocious this season. You look at they ha- they were the preseason AP number one team, and they go out and set the record for most losses by a preseason AP number one, and are in grave danger of becoming the first AP number one team to miss the tournament since the the field was expanded to sixty eight teams as well. So, little little. Um, little bit of a disappointment down in, in Chapel Hill this year, but you, you mentioned, uh, Carolina. They lose to, to Virginia in the ACC tournament in the second round. So a lot, uh, of worry down in Chapel Hill right now because I don't think they're getting in. And, nor should they. That's fine. Nor <laughs> should they, by the way. Like, I keep thinking about, we've talked a little bit off the air. 
because they're North Carolina, should they get into the tournament? Is, is and it quote-unquote good for college basketball, right, is the whole conversation? But that can't be the way we're selecting the top no. 68 teams. Like, there's enough teams that just win a bad conference and you're a bad team that gets in. We don't need to add a bad North Carolina team because it's, like, fun to give them a first-round matchup against Duke or something. There's no reason to do that. All right, so here are some of the teams that clinched a conference championship yesterday. Arizona, a 61-59 win. Thrilling victory over UCLA. That game was back and forth. And if you're UCLA, I feel like that was as good of an outcome as you could have if you're not going to win your conference tournament. They played in a game that had a Final Four-type feel to it. And you look at... Everything that UCLA is going through right now, no Jalen Clark. He's done. He's the best defensive player in the country, and he's part of the number two defense in the country. He's not going to be a part of the fold for UCLA after suffering an Achilles injury last week. So unfortunate situation there for UCLA. But if that's the type of performance you're going to get out of this team that has all of a sudden become a little injury hampered, Adam Bona is also... Um, his status up in the air for the opening round of the tournament as well. But if that's the type of performance you're going to get out of UCLA, I think you're a little bit more confident in, in how you feel about the Bruins. And the thing you have to keep in mind, too, with this team, like they have guys like Tiger Campbell, like what guys who have been on the Final Four team. Right. And Mick Cronin, a great coach who's been around, who's done that, who took them to the Final Four. So this is... It's it's. I think they've been counted out maybe unfairly because of the Jalen Clark injury, and I get it. You lose the best wing defender in the country. You, you lose the best defensive player on arguably the best defensive team. Like Ken Palm ranks them number one defensively right now, yeah. and their best defensive player is gone for the tourney. But it, it's not a one-man band at UCLA. They have players who've been to a Final Four. They have a coach who has that pedigree in Mick Cronin. So I, I'm not ready to count UCLA out. And the way that they played against Arizona, a game that, frankly, they could have and maybe should have won if not for a little bit of a collapse in the final 10 minutes. Yeah. I, why would we count them out of a national title? No, you, I, I don't think it's it's right to count them out quite yet. I do want to dive into that a little bit more with you uh, later on, Shay. Uh, but in the Big 12, Texas throttles Kansas. Kansas playing without their head coach, Bill Self, who has missed the NCAA or the, the Big 12 tournament because of medical reasons here. They expect him to be back in coaching for the NCAA tournament. That is according to acting head coach Norm Roberts. But Texas, they, they've now put it on Kansas twice to close out the season in the final week. Texas is a team that is playing with some momentum here to close out the year. They stumbled a little bit at the end of the regular season, but boom, you roll through the Big 12 and you win the conference tournament in the best conference in all of college basketball this season, and you do so in pretty impressive fashion as well. And shout out Rodney Terry, the interim head coach, taking over a team where Chris Beard got fired because of everything that happened off of the court. And really the end of this season, like you mentioned, beating Kansas twice, two really impressive wins at the end of the year, especially the one at home. It's hard to win on the road in the Big 12, but then to do it in the conference tournament and to win a conference title if you're Texas, that's huge. Great job by Rodney Terry as an interim head coach, and they're entering the tournament as hot as anybody. And he is going to get some consideration to actually land that job. To become the full-time yes. head coach mm-hmm. in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's something to keep your eye on with Rodney Terry because he has done an outstanding job in the interim there. All right, Big East Championship. We were talking a little bit about it with Meller and Hanley during crosstalk, but Marquette, 
beats the brakes off of Xavier, 65-51 to 51 at MSG. This was never a game. I, I've turned it on a little bit late, and it was already like 24-8. to eight. Marquette was up on, on Xavier. But they ran the Musketeers out of the gym, and Marquette, a first-time Big East champion. So that was cool to see. But the Golden Eagles playing with some momentum here. But, again, I always am going to have my hesitancies about a Shaka Smart-led team. When you haven't won a tournament game in a decade, it's difficult. Like... Coaching in the Big East and getting to the Big East title, that's great for Shaka, and maybe this is the year, but it's hard for me to go. Like, the tournament's a different beast. Yes. It's hard for me to look at a guy who's been coaching for as long as he has and hasn't gotten a tournament win. You said 0-6 in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But the, the glaring part of that statistic is five of those losses are as a single-digit right. seed. It's not like you're sneaking in as a 12 or you no. maybe weren't supposed to be there. Your pedigree... You should be in and winning these games. And 0-6 is a five-time single-digit seed. How am I supposed to trust them now? I know they won the Big East, but still the team I trust the most didn't have a great showing in the tournament, but they also didn't need it, is UConn. Right, and the last team that he coached that went to and won a conference championship was that Texas team in the, the bubble tournament. And they went out and lose to Abilene Christian, who was a 14 seed, when his Texas squad was a three seed there. They went out, won the Big 12, and then they dropped that one to to ACU right, right there. And it was just one of those games where they, they kind of get out of their element. And if they can't play an offensive game, I, and Hanley's right, they have gotten much better defensively. There's no doubt about that in my mind for, for this Marquette team. But I still have a lot of questions. They're a top 10 offense. They've hovered around the top five for most of the year offensively, according to Ken Palm. But right now, you're talking about a team that's 46th defensively. And you want to you talk about, we're in an era, too, where the 15s, the 15 seeds have hung and beaten two seeds at a pretty uh, pretty, pretty good clip. Like we saw it last year with St. Peter's, and I think a lot of it has to do with AAU ball and the the just the the lower rung of players now in all of basketball is just so much better than what it used to be where you've got that level of talent within your sport and you're going to have a chance to win those games no matter what. Yeah, it's like a lot of people kind of think the three fourteen game, the two fifteen game used to be pushover matchups. They're not anymore. If no. you're getting into the tournament, you're probably, with the exception of maybe a bad team that just got hot and won a really tiny conference, you're playing somebody who's good. Like the fourteens right now, and nobody's going to know these teams. You're not going to know anybody that any of these teams that I mentioned. But trust when I say it's like Furman, UC Santa Barbara, Grand Canyon, and Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State won a huge matchup in the Atlantic Sun to get their first tournament berth ever. These are teams that are hot right now. It's always a little scary. Like you mentioned, the lowest rung of players is more talented than it used to be. It's a little scary when you see these teams that get hot, win a conference. There's a great story, a lot of energy around the program. Mm-hmm. For Maybe the, in the case of Kennesaw State, first time ever in an NCAA tournament. And yeah. if you're Marquette, you walk into that game with Shaka Smart, you overlook him a little bit, you're in trouble. Right. So the the history of the 15-2 upset, there have been 10 15 seeds that have defeated two seeds. But four of those 10 have come in the last 10 years, including each of the last two years. We saw St. Peter's beat Kentucky in overtime last year and Oral Roberts take down Ohio State in overtime. That's the other impressive thing to me because what is the, the fear of the underdog, right, is going to overtime. When you stretch the game out, 
that's when you're going to allow the favorite. The more time that they have, the more likely they are to correct and get to the actual way that the the matchup was supposed to transpire. But for some of these 15 seeds to outlast these other... And St. Peter's and Oral Roberts were in control of those games early and then let them sort of slip away at the end and then somehow found a way to, to rebound and recalibrate and go out and, and win in overtime. It was pretty impressive what they have done. But the 15-2 seed... Uh, Upset is one that has certainly become more prevalent, and who knows, maybe we'll get another one this year for a third straight year. Again, I would never pick it in any of my brackets. Well, just for fun, I would highly advise though don't don't pick it. Like, what about the fourteen three? Because it's the same thing. It's happened twenty two times in history, but seven times since two thousand ten. And you mentioned most recently, Abilene Christian took out Shaka. Oh boy. Well, we'll see. We'll see where Marquette is, and maybe I'll tee him up for a, a first round exit. Um, and then the last game I want to mention real quickly is Duke taking down Virginia fifty nine forty nine at the Greensboro Coliseum last night to win the ACC. John Shire and this Duke Blue Devil team quietly picking up a ton of steam as they are closing out the regular season. Um, and and I do want to have a conversation because I do think they are the best value on the board from a gambling standpoint I right agree. now because the way that they are playing. At the current at the current moment, they are winners of nine straight to close out the regular season and the conference tournament. They're playing some of their best basketball right now, so this is certainly going to be a, a fascinating March Madness. And today is Selection Sunday, so get ready, get your pencils ready, because those brackets are coming out today. Cannot wait for it. Uh, selection show. How coming many are you going to over under ten brackets? Oh, I'm a one bracket guy. That's it. What? I, I get at least three. I'm in three big pools. I get at least three out. All right. This, One we bracket? We are slotting this. We are slotting this. Is it you fair gotta or do, foul? You got to be a multi-bracket guy. All right. We're going to talk about this because I, I have strong opinions about this as well. Very strong opinions. So we will do that all a little bit later on. But next, I do want to talk to you about the Big Ten Championship that we've got coming up later today at the United Center. You and I have actually pretty split opinions on how we think this game is going to shake out at the United Center later on today. 2.30 tip on CBS. We will break down Penn State and Purdue. Coming up next, it's Basketball U on ESPN 1000. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN 1000. This is Basketball U. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN 1000. Coming up a little bit later on today, 2.30 at the United Center. This is Basketball U, Tyler Rocky and Shane Norling talking all things college hoops with you on this Selection Sunday. You want to hop on into the conversation? Maybe you're headed to the game as well. We would love to hear from you. 312-332-3776. That's the number if you want to reach us here on ESPN 1000. All right. Penn State, Purdue. Penn State, the 10 seed in the Big Ten Tournament. I won't say it's an unlikely journey, though, for Penn State, because both you and I, I think we kind of looked back in hindsight and said, you know, this makes a lot of sense that Penn State would kind of run through this Big Ten tournament, maybe not get to the championship like they did, but at least make a run and really solidify themselves into the field. There are no doubt about it, NCAA tournament team right now, but to get to where they've gotten, they beat 
Illinois in what surely felt like an Illinois home game. They beat Northwestern in what surely felt like a Northwestern home game. Then they beat Indiana in what surely felt like an Indiana home game. And here they are, the last uh, team to conquer is the Purdue Boilermakers, which you and I have been at the United Center all week, all week long. This is certainly going to feel like a Purdue home game here. Oh, it's big time going to feel like a Purdue home game. I feel like this is... If we got Purdue-Indiana, we might have a sellout event. But because mm-hmm. it's Purdue-Penn State, it's going to be like half full and Purdue fans are going to be the only people. There. I mean, Indiana fans were probably selling their tickets on the concourse yesterday trying to find anyone that would, would bite. And, and by the way, that's always one of my favorite things about these conference tournaments is when you see a team like Indiana lose and they've got such a large fan base within the confines of the Chicagoland area and they're expecting to get to the... Big Ten championship game, same thing with probably some Northwestern fans and Illinois fans. They're all in a, a frantically trying to sell their tickets on the concourse after because of the fact that their team's not playing, so they're no longer invested anymore. They're not just going to go and root against Purdue or, or root for Penn State or just go and enjoy the basketball. No, their team is out, so they're out too. They're done. The one thing I remember seeing, and I pointed it out to you, was on this, uh, was it Friday? There was the sad Illinois fan yeah. who showed up to yes, watch other yes. teams play in his Illinois pullover mm-hmm. and just had the saddest look on his face. <laughs> I doubt we're going to see a lot of IU people there today doing that. I, I have a feeling you're right on that. But all right, to break down this game, what Penn State has done has come on the heels of Jalen Pickett. And that this is a guy who, when you, you look at Pickett, He's going to be someone that I think ends up getting drafted in the second round. He's a fifth-year senior, but he'll probably end up getting drafted in the second round because some NBA team is going to fall in love with him. And he's a fifth-year senior, but it's not like he's a an undersized guy. He's six foot four, kind of plays a little bully ball in the post as well for you. So he can he can back you down. He can also shoot from distance too. He's a thirty-nine percent three-point shooter this season. Pickett has been the engine for this team. He does have some nice supplementary pieces as well. Cam Winter, Seth Lundy, uh, Miles Dredd as well. But it has really been the Jalen Pickett show. And he has been in a conference that I think has some really, really great players. He has been one of the top three guys in the Big Ten all season long. Yeah, and the thing I just look at with this game, though, and especially on the Purdue side of things, is watching them yesterday... Every possession was the same thing offensively. It was all Zach Eady post-up. And it's not that that's a bad thing. Zach Eady's the best player on the court. Mm -hmm. He's going to have size on anybody he goes up against, especially with Penn State. Anybody guarding him will be in a mismatch. But it's so bland. There's no creativity. And even at the end, there were moments where Ohio State was able to pressure and deny the ball a little bit on those entry passes. Like, we know Edie's going to get his, but if other guys on Purdue aren't able to hit their shots, that's where I worry. That game could have been a lot closer than 80-66. to 66. And that's a fair point there. Uh, here's the one thing I noticed with Zach Edie, too. All right, In each of these games, Purdue has gotten off to a slow start. Slow start against Rutgers. They were down double digits early. Slow start against Ohio State. They were down double digits early. And then I think they were into- down 8 with or 10 with 8 minutes left in the first half. Right. It was... They were down big early, and what I noticed was all of these bigs, they play physical with Edie early on. They're they're pushing him, and they're making him try to operate from 12 to 15 feet out, and that's not Zach Edie's game. They're physical in trying to deny the entry passes into him, but Edie wins the war of attrition against these guys. 
And when he gets into that second half, he's a different animal out there. And he has beaten down some of these bigs who don't have the stamina to hang with him. And I think Matt Painter probably deserves a little bit of credit for this and strategically placing where he sits Edie so he can be at his strongest. But teams take advantage of when Zach Edie's off the floor. But Zach Edie's done a, a pretty good job of A, staying out of foul trouble, and B, being at his best in the final 10, 15 minutes of these games. And that's why he's gone out and put together some dominant 2010 um, uh, double-doubles throughout the course of this Big Ten tournament. But I think the way that his, his physical nature of beating these opposing centers down in the second half, that's what's allowed Purdue to have the success that they've had so far in this Big Ten tournament. You mentioned him staying out of foul trouble. One thing I notice when I watch him, he does such a good job of just being vertical yes. all the time. Where like it's not like Ohio State wasn't attacked attacking him. Yesterday, how many times did you and I say to each other, it's a straight line drive at Zach Eady yes. almost every trip down the floor, which is probably the dumbest way you could attack Purdue. Yeah. And well, he still only ended up with one guy. Foul. Right. And it's pretty easy for him to just stay vertical, right? Because he's the biggest he's, guy on yeah, any floor. He puts his arms up and, and boom. Like we we talk all the time about the um, the cutting down the net theory. Can you envision this coach or this player cutting down a net? He doesn't use the ladder. It's like and, and the ladder is a big part of our our stupid little cut down the the you gotta net theory. Look cool on you the gotta ladder. Look cool on the ladder. He doesn't use the ladder. That's how big he is. When he stands vertical like that, so it's it's an advantage for for Zach Eady that keeps him out of the foul trouble. That where in most, if he was like if he was seven foot exactly, he probably finds himself in more three four foul situations. One of the biggest advantages I think they have too is like he's defending the three point line from the free throw line with his hands up. He's so big that he just obstructs the sight line of any shooter on the three point line, and he can do it without getting out to the perimeter. So he's able to defend the perimeter from inside, which is insane. The reason I think I like Penn State, though, today is I feel like Penn State, when we look at the Big Ten tournament and we look back at talking about what wins come March, it's guard play. They have a guy in Jalen Pickett who is a fifth-year player. He's got all the experience. He's incredibly talented. He's great with the ball in his hand. I think he's probably the first guard that might have a chance to kind of be a mismatch getting down low being creative and and some of the finesse that he's able to do can take advantage of some of the zach Eady situations down low i look at purdue and you're right this is going to be the best guard they'll probably play all season long um and they've already played penn state twice handled them by double digits each time as well but i look at what Purdue has sort of had to to go up against. So Ohio State talents at, at the guard position, and then Rutgers, you got more age at the guard position, and now you're kind of getting the blend of both when you get to this matchup against Penn State. Here's where I think this game, though, does get decided, and it's on the boards. Penn State is not a big team. They're 248th in the entire nation out of 353 teams in height, whereas Purdue, you've got your mountain of a man in Zach Eady down there and you look at the two matchups and what transpired on the boards in each of them the first two times Purdue out-rebounded uh, Penn State 38-19 to in the first matchup and 36-25 to in the second matchup and double-digit offensive boards in each of those games as well and you're getting that many second-chance opportunities 
it's tough for me to look away, and that's why I don't only think Purdue wins this game, but I think they cover the the seven and a half, eight number, whatever it's at right now. I think they cover that as well. The scariest thing, like the, if if Penn State's going to be in this, they have to hit their shots. Jalen Pickett has to be able to stand in and make shots because they're not getting second chances. They are the worst team in America getting offensive boards. They're yes. not going to get second chance points when you're going up against a team like Purdue that will dominate the defensive glass because they have a guy like Zach Eady. Mm-hmm. That's where, yeah, I get it. Penn State's got to hit their shots. I just feel like this is a team Micah Shrewsbury has had ready to go. Yesterday, they started at the free throw line, 18 of 18. Mm-hmm. They've been efficient in these Big Ten tournament games. This isn't going to be a strange spot for them in like being a neutral site but feeling like you're on the road. That's been their story mm-hmm. this entire tournament. Yes, I, I don't feel like sometimes a team just gets hot. And they have what it takes to win in March in the guard play. Zach Eady yesterday was impressive. But anytime Purdue has 25 shots coming from Zach Eady and then 11 times at the line, he's going to get a little tired too playing his third game in a row. No no doubt about that. And this Penn State team, I mean, they, they've got flamethrowers from deep. They, they're the eighth best three-point shooting team in the country. They don't turn the ball over as well. They're a top 10 in field goal percentage. Like, they've got a formula to be a dangerous team in March. You don't necessarily need size to win in March. But I think a, you do run into a couple outlier situations. And this one against Purdue, where you're going up against a 7-4 guy who's already dominated you on the glass a couple times this year, the the third matchup, there's always the cliche in sports like, oh, it's hard tough. to beat a team three times. It's a farce. It's a farce. This the, the uh, in college basketball, when you get that third matchup, the the team that's already won twice usually wins a third time as well. I, I like Purdue. Do you like Penn State to win or just to cover a seven and a half today? I wouldn't pick them to win. I wouldn't play like the money line dog, mm-hmm. but I think seven and a half points is just too Would many. Would you even sprinkle? Would you sprinkle a little money line t- taste there? No? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think it's worth like I do think that Purdue wins this game because there's just too much. I, I feel like this could be close late. And then the idea for Penn State is or for Penn State is just foul hacking at, at Edie or whoever gets the ball on the inbounds, but it stays within that seven and a half. I think Penn State has the makeup. And they've played well enough so far through this tourney that I'm not going to doubt them anymore. They have the ability to keep this thing close and stay close towards the end. All right. When we come back, what are we doing with Duke? One of the hottest teams in the country entering the tournament, the ACC champion Duke Blue Devils. We'll tell you what we're doing with Duke heading into the NCAA tournament this season. That's all coming up next. It's Basketball U on ESPN 1000. This is ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. This is Basketball U. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN 1000. Selection Sunday coming your way at 5 o'clock on CBS. One of the best days on the college basketball calendar is here. We've got the Big Ten Championship coming up as well in Chicago. 2.30 tip time at the United Center. The last game of the regular season for college basketball. Then it is all into the tournament format. 
for the rest of the way. Tyler Rocky and Shay Norling with you here on Basketball U. We're going to be with you every single Sunday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. throughout the NCAA tournament, breaking down all the games and previewing what's ahead as well. All right, this is one of the biggest burning questions for me heading into the NCAA tournament. We know the Duke Blue Devils are going to be a part of the field for this upcoming tournament. It's not about me. And this Duke team (laughs) has quietly put together an extremely, extremely impressive close to the season. John Shire in season number one as the head coach. He has the most wins for a Duke head coach in their rookie campaign. And this Duke team just ran through the ACC tournament and have closed the season on a nine-game winning streak. That is the seventh longest active win streak in the nation right now. Uh, but you look at the way that this season started, some some rough patches in the early portions of the ACC slate. They they begin the year five and four, but they end up going fourteen and six. The, to close out the the regular season in the ACC, and then they tack on three more wins in the ACC tournament as well. And also, like looking back at the early year struggles, this isn't a team that loaded themselves up with mid-major teams that like nobody squads right. in the knock-on. They played Kansas, they played Purdue, they played Iowa. Like they went out and they played teams that were good and. Frankly, they were young. Like it took a while for things to start right. to really work with Kyle Philip, uh, Filipkowski and Tyrese Proctor. It took a while for things to start to mesh. When you have a young team, kind of the old Calipari way of mm-hmm. running five freshmen that are just five star recruits and going after it, it can take a little while to mesh. It feels like right now, nine game winning streak to close the season, winning the ACC tournament quietly they have met one of the qualifiers they are now top 25 defensively by Kempom that's always a look to when you're talking about teams that can win the national championship they're playing their best basketball at the right time this to me is a Duke team that can win six games and I didn't think that I was going to be saying that a month ago you look at too what they did in the ACC tournament they beat Virginia by 10 they beat Miami by by seven and then they beat Pitt, uh, Pitt by 27 they were in control of all of those games. They never broke a sweat once well, during this ACC tournament. And there were times where the Virginia game last night looked close, but you could tell from tip Duke was winning that thing. Right. And so I actually placed a, a little bit of a future on Duke at the start of the ACC tournament for Duke to win the NCAA tournament. Because you look at what has been going on down the stretch here with Duke, and it's the fact that their players, their freshmen – it was a real rough start for them. Some of them were battling injuries um, and, and just the ramp-up period from missing some summer workouts as well. They were not playing like a unit that that had a bunch of talented freshmen. They had three of the top five recruits in the country. None of them, except for Kyle Filipowski, was playing like it. Yep. Derek Lively was coming off the bench for a little bit to, to open up the season. The number one player in the country coming off the bench is sort of a ramp-up for him. Uh, Derek Whitehead ha- has missed a lot of time as well this season with injuries and illnesses. So we're now here in the middle of March, and the recruiting class is playing like the number one recruiting class in the country that was that was built to be. And I think you can win with this formula because even though they're a very young team, they've got a veteran point guard in Jeremy Roach who's been to a Final Four before 
And even though John Shire has never coached in the NCAA tournament, he's been on that bench in high leverage games as an assistant on Coach K's staff before. So I, I honestly trust the Duke formula right now. I really do. I think that this is a team that can win it all. I got them at fifty to one. Since then, they fifty to one. Look fifty at you. to one uh, when I got them a couple or a week or two ago, and then they were forty to one last night. They have dropped to twenty nine to one today on FanDuel Sportsbook. And I think that 29 to 1 is still a valuable number. Like I, this, I do too. This has become, and I gave out my teams that I thought could win it all last week. Duke was not on the list. They are now. When you talk about the way that they've risen, a month ago, Tyler, on February 18th, less than a month ago, they were outside the top 40 in Kempom. Mm-hmm. They might be in the top 20 by tomorrow, depending on how things shake out. They're 21 right now. Mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why this team can't continue the rise Because like you mentioned, March is about when things click for you. And it's not, I don't ding you for being young in November. We've seen this happen with a lot of teams where you're young and inexperienced early. They go out and play these gauntlet games. Like I mentioned, they played Kansas. They played Purdue. Having those losses... It always kind of feels like something to build off of when you get later in the year and you get into March because you've played those teams. You've been in those situations Mm -hmm. and played those games. Like the ACC's down this year, so I could see an argument against saying, well, you played in a bad ACC. Why should we give you props for playing that schedule? It's because of who they played in the non-conference and the matchups that they were willing to take on. And now they have a young team that's battle-tested, playing well, finally clicking, I just I don't see any reason why you should count Duke out at this point. And, and even though we talk about some of the early struggles that they have, like they still began the season ten and two, and their only losses were to Kansas and Purdue, and those two teams are in all likelihood going to be one seeds. Yeah, when two it's of the best teams in the country. So. You look at what Duke accomplished early on in the season. Um, again, some hiccups to, to open up in the ACC, but I really do think there is tremendous value on this Duke team right now. The way that they're firing, I think Shire has done a fantastic job riding the ship. Um, and, and they really very well could be on a 10-game win streak right now because that Virginia game that they lost in overtime on the road was one that had a controversial call at the end. There probably yep. should have been a foul call at the end. Kyle Filipowski would have gone to the line to shoot two. And if that happens, all you need him to do is hit one of them. You'd imagine for a guy like Filipowski, who this season is a 77% free throw shooter, he knocks down at least one of them, and then you end up victorious in that game as well. And they avenged the loss last night with what was really a dominant 10-point victory over Virginia. Speaking of Virginia, obviously one of the better teams in the ACC perennially, but it feels like this year, just down. I mean, it's one of those, it's a classic. Last year was bad. This year's good enough to get you into the tournament, but there's no NBA guys. Like that's the yeah. underrated thing I think about Virginia is how many NBA guys they've produced over the last couple of years. Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Kyle Guy has had a little bit of a cup of coffee. Ty Jerome, um, DeAndre Hunter. Yep. Like there's been NBA guys on the roster, and this year there just isn't it. There's not a single NBA guy. It's also just a classic Tony Bennett team that's efficient but slow, and they're mm-hmm. not going to score a lot of points. Like last night, we saw they only got to 49 points in part because they play so slow. But that's again, it goes back to talking about Duke finding the way to dominate a game like that, only 61 possessions, and getting to 59 points. It's they've been so impressive down the stretch. Then and then, what did you think about Kentucky losing to Vanderbilt? Because we both said last week, if Kentucky can kind of stay hot, win the SEC tournament, they're in the same boat as Duke. There's a lot of value on a traditional blue blood that wasn't playing really well, but now everything's clicking. Now I've seen Kentucky fans say, Cal, get out again. (laughs) 
we're, we're saying we're sending him to Austin, right? We're holding up our signs. Go to know, Texas. I don't know if Austin wants him anymore. Um, but I, when I look at what Kentucky has done down the stretch here, a pair of losses to Vanderbilt that just kind of felt uncharacteristic. But sometimes the the conference tournament, it's all right to lose. If you know you're going to be in the field and you're pretty confident in who you are as a team, and I think Kentucky is pretty comfortable with who they are as a unit right now, sometimes it's all right to to go out early and bow out early in the conference tournament. You're only going to affect your seed by maybe one or two seed lines. And I, I think that the rest may behoove Kentucky a little bit more than the ad, the added bump to, to where you are from a seed standpoint because they dealt with a lot of injuries to close out the year. Severe Wheeler. Um, I think Jacob Toppin also missed some time as well. And and Oscar Sheboy is a guy who he missed some time early and it's probably good to just rest rest centers late in the season. Give them adequate time to recuperate and get ready for the most meaningful games that are about to transpire. Yeah, and that's Oscar Sheboy is a guy who's a player of the year talent. Like that's right. So Kentucky is certainly talented enough, and I, I actually agree with you. I don't think losing to Vanderbilt was a death blow. It, it scared me off a little bit, like losing twice to Vanderbilt in the span of three games scared me off of them a little bit, but I still think they're playing well when you need to be playing well. It's just the traditional blue bloods, we should have seen it coming. We can write Duke and Kentucky off all we want earlier in the, early in the year, but now here we are on Selection Sunday going, that's two teams that – could probably surprise you and win it in a tournament that's pretty wide open. And you know what? Uh, here's my other sort of criteria when I am filling out a bracket as well. Any game that was played before the new year, I don't care about. I don't care. It does not yeah, matter. That, especially like the November non-con games, I, I don't care. It does not matter. The biggest One value iota. there is getting your players' experience against teams like that, teams that are that talented. But I, I don't care if you won or lost the game. How are you doing in the last month and a half? That's what I really care it's about. It's the preseason. It's a it's a giant expanded preseason that all of these teams play in. And, and I get there's big time events like Maui, Atlantis, Big Ten ACC, all that good stuff. But I, I, I find there no value in when I'm sitting down and trying to evaluate a team. I I have there's nothing. There's it's nothing just for something to watch in Thanksgiving weekend. Yes, exactly. All right. When we come back, Shay and I have been at the Big Ten tournament all week, and boy have we observed some curious things while we've been along the, the ride there. So we will brief you on some of the odd things that we have saw from the Big Ten Tournament coming up next. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. This is Basketball U. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago, on FM 100.3 HD2, the ESPN Chicago app, and ESPN 1000. We will have a bracket in hand. Final game of the regular season in college basketball is coming up at 2.30 from the United Center. Shea and I will be in attendance there as we have been with the Big Ten Tournament all week long. All right, so Shea, we've had a couple of observations. You know, I love going to these conference tournaments. Some people enjoy going to them more than the actual NCAA tournament itself. Here's what I kind of liken it to, all right? I liken it to a wedding, all right? The NCAA tournament is the reception 
where like all the churchy part of it, they're walking down the aisles and stuff. It's all, all very buttoned up, right? But the conference tournament, you kind of is like the after party, right? You can let your your feet sort of hang out there. It's a, it's a little more relaxed. Everyone, it's just good vibes all around. And it, to me, it's just a more enjoyable experience. I don't know if that's how you feel as well, but that's my comparison there. It's like the the after party for the wedding versus the the churchy stuff. The NCAA tournament is the Oscars. The Big Ten tournament is the Golden Globes. Get there a little boozy. Get a little <laughs> out there. A little reckless. Yeah, exactly. it's the best. So, um, but yeah, right now the Big Ten tournament taking place here at the United Center in Chicago. We've made a couple of observations. All right, each day some strange things have happened at the Big Ten Tournament, and we wanted to bring them to the light, all right? I will start with my first day there. It was Thursday. No, it was Wednesday. Wednesday. It was Wednesday that I was there. And halftime act for the late game between Minnesota and... Who's Minnesota playing? Was it... Um, Nebraska. Nebraska. Good, yes. Minnesota, Nebraska. Halftime act was Red Panda. A classic, a staple of conference sure. championship week, right? She parades around all around town. Uh, we had John Fanta on the Basketball You podcast earlier in the year. John Fanta was throwing bowls to Red Panda at the Big East tournament. It was electric. Um, <laughs> but at the Big Ten tournament, all right, for anyone who's seen Red Panda perform over the last couple of years, you've probably noticed something. She's lost her fastball. Right, you, you see, you see, what she is, is a little, red panda washed. She is washed. Dead halftime event. Yes, walking. I mean, you look at red panda. Bring out Jadine. Bring out Jadine. Dead halftime. Event. Oh my goodness. So you red panda. She doesn't deserve that. So red panda. All right, she's. And and I started to, thinking to myself too. Like, I wonder, like, if red panda cares. If she messes up, right? Like, does she care? All right. So she's on her unicycle, flipping the bowls onto her head. And there was, she had, I think, five or six bowls balanced on her foot, on her unicycle. She's pedaling back and forth and she's got the, the bowls balanced. And all of a sudden, it just becomes a limp foot effort and she drops her foot and the bowls come crashing down. Usually, usually when Red Panda messes oh, no. up, it's on the flip up to onto her head right. and catching them in the, the bowls on her head. But ever since uh, ever since she, she had her bike stolen, and I see Chris Black in the Twitch chat, didn't Red Panda have her bike stolen? She's yes. shook. She she has lost. It's been downhill since then. She was going to a Golden State Warriors game, and someone stole her bike, her she can't unicycle. Get right. And yeah, it, it, she was she was beholden to the bike. Um, but she dropped the the bowls. They just limp foot effort. They come crashing down to the the United Center floor, and it was one of the most pathetic efforts I've seen from oh Red Panda. And I see her in the tunnel after, and she's mfing herself for messing up. So. I had my my burning question of does Red Panda care if she messes up? Damn right she does. She was mfing herself in the tunnel after she was so upset that she screwed up there, and so I gained a little bit of respect for for Red Panda. The best I had left early because I had to work the next morning, so I didn't stay for the night game because frankly Minnesota Nebraska I'm good. <laughs> and I get the text from you at halftime, dude. You missed an all timer. <laughs> I to have been a fly on the wall when Red Panda's mfing herself in the tunnel. I would have loved to have seen that. 
Yes. You had some mascot escapades as well this week, didn't Bucky you? Badger tried to take my phone from me. <laughs> I'm standing in the tunnel uh, pregame, Wisconsin-Ohio State. Wisconsin, this is Wisconsin lost because they deserved bad karma after Bucky Badger tried to take my phone. I'm standing in the tunnel, and he comes over while I'm like, I'm on Twitter, I'm doing something. Comes over, starts typing on it. And I, I look up, and I go, what's up? And he grabs... <laughs> you talk to a mascot? Well, what the hell what is wrong with you? What is he doing touching my phone? So I go, what's up? And he grabs my phone, and then he like starts dancing in front of me, <laughs> with holding phone? my phone in his hand. And I go, okay, Bucky, can we get the phone back, please? Gives it back to me after doing a little, a little dancey dance with the phone in his hands. So... Yeah, then then they went out and got their ass kicked by Ohio State. Deservedly, Deservedly so. Deservedly so. So Bucky lost the game for the Badgers early on. All right, there was that. The other observation we had this week. So they they give you core water. Like the 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 refrigerators are stocked with <laughs> core water. The strangest job. <laughs> All right. And core water though is not a sponsor of the NCAA. You have to walk out there with an official Big 10 or an official NCAA cup if you want to have a beverage sitting uh, along the media row. So what do they have? For anyone who's ever had core water or anyone who's ever had any sort of water bottle ever, you know there's the label there, and you can peel the label off. Well, the thing about the core water label, it's not like your your Dasani or your, your Ice Mountains. Like This is a full bottle label. Top to that, bottom. Yes, you have to literally... Like it's like shucking corn almost, right? Like yeah. you you have to, and so there's a guy who stands in the tunnel when you're walking out and is observing to make sure that you've got the proper um branding on your water and if it's not a proper brand, then he has to remove because the, it can't the label. be on TV. Right, exactly. So he's sitting there with a paper clip that's um Pulled apart. Did so you notice all the different strategies, by the way? There were people, one woman used her key, car key, keys. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, this guy was using a paperclip. I think I saw a sewing needle. Everybody yes. had a different way of doing this. Yes, and they all have to, to kind of skin the water bottle and, and take the, the label off. And there's someone who sits there all day whose sole job is to take the labels <laughs> off of the water bottle. And let me tell you, some of these efforts take three or four minutes to get this label off. It's, it's pretty, not easy. It's pretty pathetic, actually, sometimes. Like, the, the the one woman who was using her keys was the best I saw. Yes. She just mm-hmm. tore right down, Boom. cut it open, and then took the whole thing off like one fell swoop. Yesterday with the paperclip, the, oh. they, were, they couldn't even get the thing to cut the label. It was a pretty pathetic showing with the paperclip yesterday. It, I want to know, is that a volunteer gig? How do you get the gig of monitoring every media member in their water bottle Shelling as they walk water in? water bottle labels. I don't know. I don't know how you get that one. It's got to be a volunteer gig. We also have a Jim Nance observation that we want to bring to you as well. We'll do that a little bit later on in the show. But when we come back, the one seeds, they all have questions right now. We're going to lay out what they are and why you maybe could be a little hesitant to pick some of these one seeds as we move into the tournament and we get our brackets later on today. It's Basketball U. We'll be back in two minutes. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. 